This podcast is not safe for work and will feature movie spoilers. It will feature scenes described of a graphic nature. It will contain language which most listeners may find offensive. Welcome to the podcast Under the Stairs. Hi everyone and welcome to the podcast Under the Stairs. This is episode 227. I'm your host Duncan McLeish. Welcome to the show. On episode 227 we are kicking off a little kind of ad hoc series which is going to run amongst all the other ad hoc series. I promise we are getting back to that Russian Roulette franchise retro and getting into part 3 ASAP. My guest However, is a frontline member of society, the workforce in care, looking after people during this pandemic. So as a result of that, kind of merging up the time to do a recording with him whilst he's juggling many, many, many work commitments at the moment. And let's be honest, uh, without people like him, the world would be fucked right now. Uh, so yeah, that is that is the intention. I know some people have been asking where part three is. Part three will be coming real soon. So um, to fill the void, I have uh, kind of brought forward a project I hadn't really planned on doing for this month. I kind of considered doing it next month, but it's been one that's been gestating for quite a bit. This is the first of five movie reviews covering the Indicator Bloody Terror box set, the shocking cinema of Norman G. Warren, 1976 to 1987. Joining me for all five reviews will be our good buddy Derek Bourgeois, who is, um, oh, he's got a myriad of different shows and he'll tell you all about them when we come to record. He's also doing the a little adjudicator spot on the Summer Teapot's Top 10 series this year. Uh, yeah, so this episode will feature the first disc in this five-movie box set. We'll be covering Satan's Slave from 1976. This is your first of four planned episodes this week. On Thursday, you're getting a bonus movie review. On Saturday, the listeners choose the episode. You will choose the movie. On Friday, I'll post a poll with three movies and you get to choose what we cover on the Saturday. And then on Sunday, it's back to that 80 Films Italian Collection series of reviews. Oh yeah, it's time. You know it. We're going to be discussing some killer crocodile. Right, I think that's us all caught up. That's all I really wanted to say at the start of this episode. I hope you enjoy this one. We're going to be doing um, in this box set Pre, Terror and Semnioid and Bloody New Year and the upcoming four episodes. And uh, hopefully you got a hand on this box set. I think it has sold out and I think Indicator are planning on putting them out individually. I hope anyway. Because, uh, yeah, I want you guys to get through the collection along with myself. Start with this first movie. You're going to hear the trailer for Satan's Sleeve when I return myself and Derek a review unit right after this. Hey, feeling down? Feeling low? Not enough podcasts about movies in your life? Why not try... They must be destroyed on sight! The new podcast cure-all. Sure to get you right with the world and on a path to better living. We have exploitation, we have Italian horror, we have zombies, we have slashers, we have crime films, we have spaghetti westerns, we even have sci-fi and sex comedies. So take a dose of... They must be destroyed on sight! As needed, and let the hosts, Lee Russell, Daniel Harper, Paul Romali, and the odd guest host cure what ails you. Warning, may cause atrophy, African consumption, black fever, bone shave, chin puff, colic, cramp colic, Dropsy of the brain, elephantitis, grocer's itch, jaundice, mania, miasma, mortification, palsy, pox disease, rheumatism, scurvy, St. Anthony's fire, summer complaint, and worm fit in some people. Consult a physician before listening. Return to us. We await you, oh beloved of the old saints. Camilla York. She is to blame Catherine for everything. And how do you know I'll be bored out of my mind? Well, spending a week with an uncle you've never even met. 
I know where you're going. You're hearing those voices again, haven't you? They're not voices. They're premonitions. Ah! I saw something. You are a direct descendant of Camilla York. But I saw it, Steve. But it wasn't my parents who were burning. It was me. If you've ruined my plans, Stephen, I'll kill you. I can promise you that. <gasps> Vicious, isn't it? What have I done? You made me fall in love with you. That boy is a complete mystery to me. One moment I fear for his sanity, and the next butter wouldn't melt in his mouth. Out. It's taken a long time, but now you belong to us. And welcome back, ladies and gents. So you've just heard the trailer for what is our very first movie and what will be a five-movie run looking at the indicator box set Bloody Terror, the shocking cinema of Norman J. Warren, 1976 to 1987. So this is picking off the quote-unquote classics. Um, we have to start right at the very start here uh, for this box set. 76 is Satan Slaves. That's the trailer you've heard. Joining me on this five-run odyssey of atrocities um, is the guy that actually pitched this to me. He's like, that. you own it, I own it. Let's make magic. And um, yeah, as long as it's not satanic magic, or maybe I want satanic magic, I don't know. I haven't really given it that much thought. But joining me is my very good friend Derek. Now Derek has a plethora of phenomenal shows out there on, I think, the, the two big feeds that most of the listeners listen to. So firstly, let me welcome you back, Derek, and two, go and remind the listeners out there the names of the multitude of shows you're involved with. You know, Duncan, this is third time's a charm because I thought I would never think I would be recording with you three times in the same period. <laughs> Usually it took a year, you know. <laughs> but uh, it's awesome to be back again, man. And, you know, we, maybe you'll see each other again this summer. We'll save that mm. for later, maybe. Mm. Depends on uh, certain opinions. <laughs> but, uh, mm. <laughs> yeah, well, maybe we'll save that for later. But, uh, yeah, you know, I have a... a bunch of shows on the the horophilia network uh, of course my main show is a uh, of course uh the cinema attack podcast which has kind of been kind of dormant lately just because of well i'm not gonna keep repeating about all the mayhem that's going on outside the world <laughs> but uh it's been kind of our schedules has kind of been kind of not flexible because of that situation which but we are going to be coming back we're going to be trying to record uh, next week, I believe. So that should be back. Uh, it'll be nice to get that one back and running. But of course, as you know, and uh, uh, we, I actually do have a side cast for that, which kind of has been taking up a lot of the feed lately because <laughs> uh, of the situation. But uh, it's just a, it's just an easier sc- show to schedule and record, and it's usually just a one movie review. And that, of course, is uh, celluloid dissections, which I do with my uh, co-host of that, uh, Carly, who's also like a a huge like an up-and-coming female podcaster as you know and mm-hmm. you know uh, i enjoy doing that with her we actually just have episode out with deaf wish and uh you know i am also uh, the third host of no more room in hell uh which kind of saddens me because i have never tagged in any of the posts when the episodes are posters uh you know like uh on horophilia they post them up i'm like Mike Merriman, Jerry Cortez. I'm like, where about me? I'm there too. <laughs> but uh, I'm just kidding. That's just an inside joke to Jason because I said something the last time. I would have, you know, I don't mind, but it was like my episode too that I hosted. It was like my motherfucker. <laughs> yeah, you know, but it's all good in the hood. Uh, and also, I started another podcast in the Horror Affiliate Network uh, with uh, Miss Lacey Lou, of course. Uh, 
she's probably most known for the Cut to the Chase fame mm-hmm. of the Cut to the Chase podcast. And uh, it's called They're Here Podcast. It rolls off the tongue because how we usually introduce that show is, of course, she's like, they're here. Podcast. <laughs> but uh, yeah, those are my shows in the Horophilia Network. And uh, also the one main show on the Legion Network, a.k.a. also the Kill the Cast Network. Because mm-hmm. you know, Jerry's kind of like me brainstorming ideas to just keep everything under one feed. It's easier that way is the underwater kaiju from outer space podcast where we talk about kaiju movies mm-hmm. if you like that shit yeah check that out we have we're not really like we even said we're not experts on everything we just have fun and talk about what we liked and didn't like about the movies that's and we also just run down we're in the middle of like the ultraman series too in that show so yeah that's about it you know for me Nice, nice. A busy, busy, busy man. I'm very honoured that you've uh, you, you pitched this idea to me. Mostly because if you if you know me, <laughs> um, you know that I buy these things and then they sit in their cellophane um, for what can sometimes be years. Um, and that's just the way I am. I'm a compulsive kind of knee-jerk buyer of box sets. Uh, anything, any company puts a number on the side of a box or says it's limited, and I tend to buy uh, almost sight unseen. And it's been like that with most of the indicator box sets. Um, I've, I've really not actually delved into any of them. And if I was going to delve into one, this particular set is a. An absolute beauty. The, the, the packaging, the, the work, the detail inside it. Finally opened it last night to sit down and, and I didn't realise like things like posters and postcards I did not realise were actually in it. Because I didn't read it when I buy it. Yeah, I mean, I just bought it. Um, so yeah, you kind of pitched this idea of how about we, we run through this box set and, you know, any excuse for me. It's about the only time I watch a movie really now um, or get time to do watching of movies is for podcasts that inspires me to do them. And I was like, cool, because like we were talking about off here, um, of these movies by Norman Warren, I've only seen two in the box set, maybe three, maybe three at a push, maybe three at a push. Um, well, de- no, it will be definitely two, because Satan's Sleeve, I was like, yeah, I've seen that movie before, watched it last night, have not seen that movie. That was, a, that was a whole new experience. And that is where we are starting for this particular run. So it came out in 1976, directed obviously by Norman J. Warren, um, based on the screenplay by David McGilvery. Um, the movie itself stars Michael Goff, Martin Potter, Candence Glenn Denning, Barbara Kellerman, Michael Craze, Gloria Maley, James Bree, Celia Hewitt and David McGilvery. Uh, which yeah, Sony got like cast in the movie because he wrote the movie. I don't know. His character's not particularly a nice character either. So he does play the he plays the priest. Um, and I suppose if you were not an actor and you were a writer and you wanted to cast yourself in a movie, maybe that's the role you go for. I don't know. I genuinely don't know. It's weird. Yeah, yeah. That's actually you know I was actually thinking about like. Uh, I was thinking of Daredevil, like the terrible Daredevil movie with Ben Affleck, and mm-hmm. they cast Frank Miller as the priest in that movie. And Sin City too actually played a priest. Yeah, maybe that's <laughs> just what you do. <laughs> I don't know. Maybe that's maybe there's an unwritten rule of cinema that we don't know that if you actually wrote the movie and you get a chance to star in it, you have to play a priest. I don't know. I don't know. But yeah, so that, like like I say, I kind of had an idea that I had seen this movie, and I certainly had not. And I realised that really quick into the movie. Um, the synopsis is listed on IMDb as a young girl is caught up in a devil cult run by her evil uncle and cousin. She can trust no one and even people she thought were dead come back to haunt her. Um, first question I need to ask you, uh, sure. my, my friend, is, uh, I, I mean, how familiar with these movies were you before getting this box set is this like is this kind of is this your jam when it comes to kind of 70s kind of b-movie fair or was this a kind of oh there's some movies in here i haven't seen before so i'm just going to get the box set and kind of clear this out uh pretty much i've seen a lot of these movies uh there was actually two i haven't seen in it and uh 
recently, but I have seen them since I got the podcast at it because I was like, I had to check those ones out right away because, you know, like I've seen like Terror and, and this one and uh, Bloody New Year before and uh, what was the other one? Insemnoid. Insemnoid I haven't seen. That's actually one of the main reasons I got <laughs> this because uh, it's a film that I wanted to see for years and, you know, it had like budgeted DVD releases here. So I'm like, hell yeah, I'm going to pick this up on Blu-ray. <laughs> And you know, in that sense, and uh, yeah, Norman J. Warren is interesting. Like, like all his films, like they have a similar style, but they're all very different mm-hmm. in tones and stories. And I kind of like that about us. He doesn't just try to do like the same movie over and over again. He's he's in a weird kind of. I, I was thinking about this. There are certain um, there are certain like directors from this time period, kind of spaced out throughout like different countries because obviously it's a British movie um, but you have um, and it's interesting Arrow and uh, like your Vinegar Syndromes your uh, Severins and all the rest are kind of picking these guys off uh, I think like a um, the, the box set that came out recently for the Spanish guy whose name escapes me uh, Yes, yes. So, like, he's obviously, you know, he's got a collection of movies as well, which have been picked up. And what I love about it is, like, they're instead of just trying to do the one movie, which might get buried in a catalogue of other releases at the time, they're kind of grouping them together to to give you a good idea of how diverse these directors were. If it's yeah. someone like a, a Nashi, for example, as well, who who like you can tell one of his movies when you sit down and watch them, but he was picking off lots of different kind of genres or stylings or whatnot, but very much keeping true to himself. And Warren falls into that. Um, so does uh, oh, they did that did House of Whipcord. Uh, Pete Walker. Yeah, Walker. He's another great example of in fact him and him and Warren maybe 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 less campy as Pete Walker, but there's a kind of shared DNA here, specifically when it comes to the use of nudity. <laughs> like, like we can do it in the seventies, let's do it. But yet like Warden's one of these guys where um I mean he didn't have the longest in terms of creating, he didn't like make like a hundred movies. He's not like a you know a, a Takashi Miki or a Mar- Mario Bava or anything that way with a, a list of movies that runs and runs and runs. But um, he certainly made his impression on it. What I kind of liked about sitting down to watch Satan Slave as a kind of first watch through was yet yeah, this is total cheesy b-movies fair for the 70s like the 70s are the satanic decade like any excuse we can get Mm -hmm. to segue a little satan storyline in there and get some naked women in and that's great but this is surprisingly well directed for a b-movie of this sort like i was very i was actually shocked at how well this was directed because i've seen insemnioid and mm. I, I, I have a lot of time for that movie. Um, but that's kind of later on in his career. So I just assume, mm. you know, this guy's early career is going to be a bit dodgy. And, you know, and I sat down and watched this one. And right from the off, it's like, that. well, you can watch the director's cut. Or you can watch the, you know, the explicit cut with the, you know, the extra nudity and the sex stuff. And, <laughs> yeah. and of course, I went right for that cut because I'm like, yeah, of course, that's what I want. I want to see. <laughs> I want sleaze. To see, yeah, I want to see the sleaze because it adds, it's hand in hand to the, the presentation. For the most part, this movie has a premise which, I mean, it puts its own little twists and spins on it. But, I mean, this is not breaking the mould of what you would see in around 76 with a a kind of devil movie. But he doesn't cut corners. And I I was actually more shocked by the the way it was shot, the way the story was set up, the fact it's a lean movie, it's under an hour and a half, it it doesn't really have much fat on it at all. Um, And it kind of plays with the audience and, well, is it, isn't it, is it, isn't it, right to the very end to the, mm-hmm. the final reveal and even at the end I was like alright well maybe this isn't the end and that I was alright oh, no you oh right you did oh, okay that's cool that's cool I, right I dig it I dig it um, so I was I was most shocked by almost his premise as a filmmaker like even even at this point this is a very assured very well put together ostensibly B, B-movie trashy Satan 
movie, and I think I think it's it, it, almost the way he directs it elevates it above a lot of the throng of what you would see in and around this time. I don't know if you would agree with that. I do, you know, like uh, when I was because this is a you could just tell this is in some aspects that well, just so minimal characters and mm-hmm. just one set really. This is a very minimal budget movie, but the way that he shoots it, like with the colors and the schemes and some of the scopes of the shots makes it look bigger than it actually is in that aspect. And, uh, you, you know, a lot of things I like about, like, these kind of movies, like the slow burn, satanic 70 movies, they have to give you some little twists and turns in this, and I actually kind of dig, like, how this ending's like, fooled you, like Dark <laughs> Helmet, <laughs> you know? Like, you know, that was kind of funny, like, oh, what? You know, but we'll get into that, maybe we want to discuss that. And yeah, maybe. yeah, I, th- I think because we, we are going to spoil this movie for sure. The, the, the other thing that I kind of got when watching this is how well I think this would uh, pair up with a movie like All the Colors of the Dark. You know, I would yeah. love to see a double bill of, of those um, where one is, like, overtly stylized. Um, and very much that kind of Euro trashy sort of way, and then this one, which is very much a British movie, you can tell like the the the, the palette of this movie is a bit flatter because uh, the weather isn't nearly as nice as it is in Italy. Um, but you you get you you get kind of similar weavings and kind of wooziness um, and that kind of almost psychosexual nature of the the, the ideas between essentially satanic cults which they, they have not a fucking clue none of these directors or writers at this time really know much of it like if you want the, the kind of closest comparison to what satanic cults were actually like around this time you weirdly have to look at something like The Devil Rides Out because at least Wheatley the author of that book had spent time with Crowley and really going into all the satanic magic practices when you get to these it's all the kind of it's the filmic version which is very much like a yeah and we've all got we're all like incredibly wealthy and come to my mansion out in the country uh, because like every satanist is a millionaire and what what I kind of liked about this one as well is that in some respects like when you think of something like like Rosemary's Baby really is the catalyst for a lot of this. It, it, it sets out mm. the the kind of idea of um, you know Satanists are like they could be like your next door neighbor. They, they could be any. They could be anyone essentially. Um, and at the same time, the the blurring of the the way Rosemary goes through that movie, this blurring of not being able to trust what she is seeing, who she's speaking to, and whatnot. And then the way that this is kind of transferred into this movie, which is a lot flatter in terms of how it presents it, but what I like about it is the use of that kind of almost dreamlike nature of, is is the violence that she's seeing, is that real or is it not? And the weird thing about it is, in some respects, I think this movie overplays that, but mm-hmm. it doesn't feel like it when you're watching it. It was in hindsight when I thought back from the ending, I was like, you know, that ending, like we were saying, the full you ending. Um, I was thinking back to how many times they'd pulled the old switcheroo, so to speak, and, and it's done a lot in this movie, but what I what I appreciate about it is that each time they do it, it kind of feels like, well, they're not going to do Oh, no, they did it again. <laughs> like, like you, you, your kind of instinct is almost, even towards the end, is when they go for that kind of big pulling of the rug you kind of think well this is where they are going to play it straight essentially because they've 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 cried wolf so many times along here this is the bit they they, they do it safe i also like them the, the cast itself surprisingly solid um i had wondered um like because it still didn't even clock to me that when i posted this last night and you uh posted the the, the picture of alfred from the original <laughs> Batman movies. Um, that had not clocked at all until um, earlier on today. Where I was like, that's such a random thing that Derek posted. I wonder if he's posted the wrong gif. Um, and I was like, I wonder, maybe, is it? And, and yeah, it is. And he's really good. Like, Uncle Uncle York in this movie, or Alexander, um, played by Michael Goff, is really fucking good. And it's interesting to see him in a role like this where he is clearly having a ball. He's he's two steps away from twiddling that moustache 
as a kind of almost villain-like performance. And it is, that mustache was epic. It's a, such a cool mustache. Um, and the thing about him as well is the way he... There's a duality to that character I really like where you... He, I mean, he's he has one purpose, and that one purpose is to resurrect, you know... Okay. Essentially, resurrect this kind of this connection to to Satan himself through like the descendant. But essentially, the story of this is that I I suppose we should do that. Um, yeah. we, we have uh, a girl who's traveling with her parents. Parents die in a car crash. Um, she's recovering from that and uh, struggling to recover from it. Um, she's been adopted in, and what she doesn't realize is she's part of a lineage that when sacrificed on her birthday by fire will resurrect an ancestor who wields some degree of power. Um, but essentially all the way through this movie she is second guessing. And that's, I, I thought um, Candace uh, Glendening is absolutely brilliant in that. Like, see when you watch uh, Rosemary's Baby, it's that... At times, she's a bit too clueless, if I'm honest. Mm-hmm. Um, and this one, there is, like, you can see, like, at times she's a very powerful character. You know, like, she she puts on this, she's, like, she doesn't fuck around at the end, she stabs a guy through the eye. <laughs> she's, like, she's, not, <laughs> she's not fucking around in this. But she shows those elements of vulnerability, and that is the thing that I think they nailed in this movie really really well is everyone in this movie has a kind of duplicity to the way they're acting they're almost yeah. acting two roles um, and that must be fun as an actor I'd like to be able to wield that well now I'm villain but now I'm friend uh, or now I'm you know vulnerable but now I'm powerful yeah I think the way that it was dwelled into the characters is you know that you see like when you get inside the house there's like this inner turmoil against every character like Michael Goth with his son Stephen mm. and Stephen and Francis, the secretary, kind of have like this thing going on too where they're fighting because, and then Stephen, of course, incest anybody? <laughs> like, yep. Why not? In for a penny, in for a pound is what I say, Derek. You know, at this yeah. stage. <laughs> hey, I'm from Charlestown. It's a square mile town. Everyone's related somehow. <laughs> 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 the other thing as well is like out with the the nudity and the cinematography is this is quite a vicious little movie I mean oh. the, it, it gets kind of bloody which surprised me for specifically the time and the, like you tend to find that like the satanic movies in the mid 70s some of them are full on gore and it's ridiculous gore or it's the other way around. It's the focus really on the practices and not necessarily the you know the, the blood. But mm-hmm. there are some gnarly sequences in this movie that I thought were handled surprisingly well. And it's they clearly, like you see, don't have the biggest budget, so it's just well placed editing. Yeah. Um, you know, like at the end and like a, a bit of time setting things. The blood looks like a realistic red. We're not talking about the poster paint kind of red colours of like a Hammer movie uh-huh. um, it has a kind of re- a realistic tone to it but also the ideas of how you know that the power that these these Satanists wield is like, can really mess with your mind there's a great kind of claustrophobic scene in an elevator um, about halfway through it which I thought was handled really well where a, a character is basically losing his mind um, and the score in the background just playing weird noises it's almost like someone has walked, stumbled into a recording studio and it's just playing anything they can get their hands on and playing one note here and then hitting a triangle and you know it's, it's, it's all very disjointed and added added quite well I felt overall Um to, to set things up so it's like whilst there might not be the biggest budget there attention to what they can do with what they have is kind of almost paramount for the story I appreciate that I've, I've said it many times like I I don't necessarily feel to make an effective horror movie you need to have the biggest budget in the world you just need to be able to work really well with what you have and not try and apply things out with your budget so mm. if you if you can't afford really good digital CGI effects, Dario Argento, don't have a running praying mantis, 
You know what I mean? It's, it's that it's, you know, it's that kind of level. And in here, <laughs> the, the the use of the score and some some nice cuts as well, cut sequences, uh, and a bit of, a bit of practical makeup and practical effects here. R- you know, speak volumes for me. The only thing that I thought looked relatively cheap is the satanic goat head, which really does look like it's made out of paper mache. Um, it does. It does. I was like, I was like, well, I, we can cut some corners every now and again, but come on. Did they borrow that from Bruno Mattai or something? <laughs> <laughs> um, so, yeah, so I, I really like that aspect as well. Let's, let's kind of talk about, um, let's build up towards the end here, but let's talk about those, those red herrings as we go through. Because... Like Stephen, you know, befriends uh, Catherine pretty quickly. Kind of yeah. doubles down as being almost on some level her confidant, um, and her and a kind of I was going to say spiritual guide, but it's like a different sort of spirit. And you, you, we see sequences of him out with his interactions with Catherine. And we know exactly what sort of guy this is, which isn't a nice one. Um, you know, there's a lot, there's a lot going on there, which is a bit creepy, a bit weird. Um, and he has this really sadistic mean streak in him, which I kind of enjoy because uh, I think it's played very well on screen um, and how well he just switches that. But essentially, we are left pretty much second guessing throughout I said earlier on that I felt that at times the movie on paper uses it too much but why do you think that realistically it's not it's actually handled surprisingly well even though they they do the old switcheroo a few times yeah you know like the the character of Steven like when we find out later that he was actually spoiler alert ahead present at his uh, mother's own sacrifice Mm -hmm. And uh, you can see, like, that kind of affected him in a crazy way that made him kind of angry against his father. And he's kind of, I feel like he's taking out on these other women that he's actually sleeping with at the end. Like, we see in the beginning, he kills this girl right in the beginning of the film. Mm-hmm. And, you know, and then later on, you know, he's having turmoil with Francis as, like, an inner torment. He keeps her alive because that's, she works for his dad, you know. You can't really... You kill her right away until mm-hmm. you know later on when he turns into the Hulk. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> it's just a. I think it's like built up turmoil throughout him that makes him do things. Mm-hmm. I, I think he actually deep down kind of does love Catherine, but then after that situation, that uh, scene where uh, you know they she kind of neglects him before yep. he kills Francis is where he. Went full on, yo. I'm with my dad now, yo. Yeah, fuck this bitch. You can see there's there is a bit there is a clear bit where he f- it's, it's almost like he is not fully invested in the cause, and then you're right. There, there's a, the bit where he just basically throws himself fully into it. Sadly, <laughs> um, sadly resulting with a, a you know a little uh, a little blade through the eye um, for for his trouble. See when it so when it uh, builds up, so Catherine eventually ends up like fully under the care of good old Uncle York, um, and it's it's revealed to her the final plan is finally revealed that she must kind of she needs to die by fire essentially to to resurrect this this uh, ancestor of hers, um, and essentially what we need to do is we need to get her there, and this is you know. Like Uncle York has a clear plan of how to do things, and Stephen has not been necessarily paying attention to everything. And as a result, Catherine's starting to get a bit suspicious, and thus the the time scale and everything going the way they are, they have to get a bit more physical with it. And then we build up towards the the ultimate sacrifice. What I love about this specific kind of ending is it's the combination of a lot of what had been happening in British cinema as well. So we can go that extra mile by 76. We've already had a lot of the movies that I'm speaking about on Chronicle at the moment. So whether it be a Witchfinder General, which is already supplanting that idea of witchcraft and, you know, sacrifice, Blood on Satan's Claw, which is already kind of playing around with these ideas of kind of of paganism, um, satanic rites, 
Um, or even right through the Wicker Man, which is you know a couple of years before this as well. There's a clear through line of where we're going with these things. So when we get to this, as soon as we see Uncle York in the the old uh, red gown, we and you know he's talking about fire. As an audience, we're predisposed to know that something gnarly is going to happen here. Um, he's already described the right, and it seems it seems pretty horrible. And she fights back, and I love that aspect because, like. And a lot of other movies, it would be, you know, she's saved just at the end, you know, at the end of the movie by a man, because this is still 76. Um, or, or she doesn't get saved, um, like the, the, the kind of the Rosemary's Baby ending, or The Omen, which is the same year as this, which fucking blows my mind, um, where we're like, oh no, Satan lives, all hail Satan. Um, you know, you've got these, these, these kind of ideas of, this could go any way and she fights back and she escapes and then she bumps into her dad and we're all like wait one second her, her dad's dead can you die? Yeah. yeah yeah like and that's when like to me when he starts going through it and she starts like yeah oh, oh yeah I do remember that car journey and you're like it's like you said motherfucker like you, you're gonna do the whole it was a dream ending well I suppose that's alright we can live with that and he goes, you know, she's eventually brought back into the house. And, you know, Uncle York's not wearing a red <laughs> gown anymore. He's sitting on the chair. Oh, hello, my dear. You know, like very much. I love Kendall. that performance so much. Like, it's he's so like, he, good. You know. He's so good in this movie. I just, I like, this is what I'm saying. He looks like he's having a fucking ball. And, you know, she's like, I, I want to phone my boyfriend. He's, oh, yes, you can use the phone through there. And, of course, she opens the curtain to see like our cousin Stephen stabbed through the eye this is Uncle York's son and he is not batting an eyelid at this at all because he is fully committed to the cause he knows that we need to do what we need to do here which will be death to her in order to achieve his goal um, and that if that means sacrificing his son so be it you know that's a commodity he's willing to pass away with and then the dad comes in so the dad's been in you know in with it and then we kind of, and I love this because the every fibre in my being is like, all right, she's strapped to something and we see her burn to death. And the movie doesn't do that. The movie instead shows you like, the image of some flames, the sounds of the flames themselves, uh, a bit of screaming in the background and whatnot, and then cuts to credits. And I think that I like that aspect. I don't need to see that. You've already told me what that entails and we've already said budget probably I imagine if he had the money he would have done it um, but in some respects it's more effective not doing it yeah I agree yeah we don't need to see it it's, it's, and I think that's what in, a, in some level really surprised me about the whole put together of this movie is that it feels surpri- it feels surprisingly above the B movie world it's operating in um, and I mean, mm-hmm. this is it's still a B movie by by all by every categorization, but there there is a classiness, a weird classiness, which I didn't think would necessarily be there. Um, I think really, worked. I think yeah, no, I I think uh, the way that it elevates with the film is actually cast in Michael Gomez because he actually did this film for free. I was actually doing a little research on this. Uh-huh. You know, and he actually, like, he actually brought his own wardrobe and everything. You know, he actually, all his clothes are his real clothes in the movie. <laughs> Besides the probably the Santana clothes. <laughs> or maybe, you, know, you don't know, you don't know. <laughs> but, you know, you know, just with, like, an elevative classiness of, like, an old-school hammer performer mm-hmm. in your movie is going to elevate it enough to elevate everyone else around you, too. And, you know, I really like that. And, you know... You know, even on some of the slower pace scenes, I I think the musical score really helps it because, like you said, there's just some weird noises. Like John Scott's score in this movie mm-hmm. elevates like some of the bizarreness of the movie in that sense too. Like you're like, whoa, what the hell is that? <laughs> you know? Yeah, I've said it uh, many times. I think the um, I think like a lot of people think when they talk about a score to a movie, it has to be something entirely memorable or like incredibly filmic it has to be a score that people will remember for you and that's not the case a good percussive score can have 
just the same impact if used well it can disorientate it can you know it can, it can make you feel uncertain or uncomfortable in your own skin without necessarily being a tune that you can hum and I think that I think that's handled really well here it's, it's like all these parts connecting really well even the, the opening credits to this movie I'll tell you right now I was just like I was like totally Total, like you can imagine, like like Black Sabbath could have had this as a music video at the start. I, I absolutely loved the whole way, and it's. I mean, if you were under any doubt what this movie was about, even with the name Satan Slave, you know, like like any doubt at all, that those opening credits are like, oh yeah, Satan, motherfucker, um, and I, I really appreciate that as well. I I was I was very surprised. I, I will be honest. Um, and uh, I mean, my grade will, well, it's still going to be like a, a grade where I'm going to take everything into account. But I, I don't know, I was expecting something a lot trashier for for a kind of, this is the first movie in the collection. I was I'd like, but in a lot of respects, I feel it's maybe better handled and better constructed than I thought it was going to be. And as a result of that, the, the surprise definitely caught me because I kept expecting because you get like these scenes of nudity and death and stuff and like right that's the you know that's the exploitative kind of Euro trashy cinema that I expect all the way through this movie but those are just bits inserted in here surrounded by you know very solid acting really well composed shots an interesting script a story which is very playful and plays with the audience's is it, isn't it sort of uh, appreciation of where we're going with it? And then ultimately it finished in a way which kind of made me feel like, yeah, you, you you nailed the landing. You stuck that landing. I thought you were going to opt for something else and that I was prepared to accept that. And then right at the very end, you, you, you stuck the, the acting and, uh, and the, the story in the end in a way which I thought, I thought was really really good. I I was I was more than just a little bit shocked, and I will be honest with you, uh, Derek. I am incredibly excited uh, to to dig further into these. Is there anything that you want to kind of put out here as a summation, end statement, closing statement, or anything we've not covered for Satan Slave that you think would be worthy of putting out there for the audience? You you know, like. The aspect that I always dug about this movie, like um, this is actually my third time watch, but I've, you know, like you were saying, it was like the, some of the deaths in this movie. I was kind of shocked to, on even this watch of it, like when uh, Catherine's boyfriend John falls to his death. I wasn't expecting to see like bones sticking out again. Yeah, <laughs> you know, it, it's just that aspect of it that I dig. You know, there's a lot of like sleaze, but like you said too, it's kind of maybe like for like one of his like because he actually dwelled into a lot of uh soft core and hardcore porn stuff too in his career <laughs> don't tell. haven't we all <laughs> you know uh but you know for like one of his like first like horror movies or like legit movies for the budget that he had he did what he grasped it like i gotta make this one at least look awesome <laughs> and too good for like the budget that I have, and uh, surprisingly enough, we, we might recognize this house later on, and in, when we get into it, because this is actually the same house they use in the terror. Ah, interesting. Yeah, so, yeah, so you might see some sets that look similar, and uh, I, I like that about it. He has like a small, similar crew that do come back here and there, like the writers and stuff come back to write for his projects. The sound, the composer comes back for a few of his projects, and you know, like. It's weird because it's kind of a classy, sleazy movie mm-hmm. <laughs> in that aspect. And, you know, but it's still, enjoy- I think a lot of people will still enjoy this one. Maybe more than maybe some of his later ones, Swirl, or, uh, <laughs> you know, where he had like he was more in control with this one and, you know, in that aspect. But, uh, you know, I, I dig it. I dig uh, Satan Slave, man. It, it's a, great little movie inside of your spectrum of like all these satanic cults movies yeah it's definitely one i was i was glad to like certainly because like in the back of my head i thought i'd seen it so i thought i was you know three of these movies i know um and like i say very quickly 
after the credits, like I'd never seen this movie before. And then when I reached the end, I was really glad that we had opted to do this this little project, but at the same time, really glad that I'd finally, now having seen this movie, I can tick it off my list. It's, it's one that I will definitely revisit. Uh, and I, it is worth saying at this stage, the indicator print of it is fucking flawless. It's really, 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 like, they've done clearly a lot of colour correction on it because this movie's up in its entirety on YouTube. Um, and I think that might be a DVD rip and it is very flat. It's a very flat looking rip that's up there. Um, and they've, they've clearly put the, the, the work into that and we'll probably, as we move through the collection, get a chance to talk a bit more about the the, the package as a whole. Um, I, I got a sneaky suspicion that this might be sold out. Um, if it's not, then I would say buy it. Um, even if you're not a huge fan of the movies, because indicator stuff once it goes out of print is worth like double, like at a minimum. Um, oh yeah, these things go up ridiculously in price. Um, so yeah, I think yeah, just kind of bouncing off like your kind of closing statements. I agree. I think it's it's surprisingly competent, really well put together piece of of what should be pure exploitation satanic trash but with the the choice of cast here setting um and delivery at times it shows flourishes a real confidence and real um real strong direction and i i thought that 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 worked for it and and leaps and bounds Uh, as you're fully aware derek on this show we uh we do i think we're now calling it teapots grades is technically bastardized old netflix grades one is hated it two is didn't like it three is liked it four is really liked it five is loved it um i'm going to come in here with 3.5 for this one uh, it's between uh you know i liked it and i really liked it i imagine on future watches this is probably going to go up to a four um and there will be future watches. This is not one of these ones where I'm like, one and done, that's me, you know, put on the shelf now. Um, I, I, you know, I've, I've already been, just in, in the chat in here, I've already thought about at least another two or three movies that would pair up in a really cool double bill with this movie. Um, and that usually is a good sign that there's something in here, there's a bit of traction that's going to make me come back again and again with these sort of things. What about yourself? What grade are you giving Satan Slaves? Ah. Uh. Satan Slaves is going to be getting a four Michael Go mustaches out of five. <laughs> Such a good mustache. Some people can just grow great mustaches, and I hate them for it because I can't. Um, motherfuckers. Uh, excellent. So four. We will see if, um, as we continue through this collection, if the scores remain relatively high. Now, Derek, like I say, we've still got some more movies to do in this collection, and we'll be doing this kind of ad hoc, probably up until around when the summer series kicks off, um, which you are uh, graciously a part of this year. And I'm very much looking forward to that as one of our adjudicators. Um, in this collection, we still have to cover Prey, Terror, Insemnioid, and Bloody New Year. So if the listeners keep their eyes peeled for as and when they drop, that would be kind of awesome. And at the start of the episode, you gave us the, the, the lowdown on your shows out there in the networks. Reminder, listeners, where can they check out your fantastic work? Sure, here comes the shorter version of that. <laughs> one. Of course, uh, Horophilia, check out Cinema Attack and Celluloid Dissections. They're under the Cinema Attack feed on Horophilia. Uh, like I said, you know, there's just keep all my created shows under one banner, make it easier to find. And of course, uh, I am the third host of Normal Room in Hell. You can also find that in Horophilia. And uh, also, They're Here podcast with Miss Lacey Lou, also on Horophilia. And under the Kill the Cast and also Legion podcast, you could find me under Underwater Kaiju from Outer Space, where we're going to give you those visions from Monsterland, guys. Nice, nice. Thank you very much for joining me, Derek. Like I say, we're going to be back probably sooner than you think, and we're going to be covering the next movie in the collection. What is that next movie, Derek? Prey, a.k.a. Alien Prey, which I think that might be our most discussion of a movie <laughs> because like I even like jokingly when I was talking to you about this box set before I'm like 
this is the weirdest movie ever and <laughs> we had to talk about it <laughs> yeah this is it'll be a first time watch for me it's one that i've not seen um so i'm very much looking forward to like specific you you've 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 got my interest peaked which is uh which yeah has, has made me very excited to see where we end up with this one um, right ladies and gents we're going to take my final break of the show when I come back I'm closing it out right after this you're listening to the podcast under the stairs you've been listening to the podcast under the stairs this has been episode 227 we have done the first of what will be five movie reviews covering the bloody terror box set from indicator the shocking cinema of norman g warren 1976 to 1987 kicking it all off with satan's sleeve thank you very much to derek for joining me on this episode go and check out that man's show he's a hard-working podcaster bloody nice guy as well i'm looking forward to digging into prey on our next recording there's a multitude of ways to check out the show wherever you're listening to us right now though hit subscribe and that way you won't miss any of the episodes. Like I told you at the start here, we're putting out four episodes this week. If you're not subscribed, there is a chance you will miss one of these episodes. And that's not cool. Let's be cool. Let's hit subscribe. While you're subscribing, subscribe to the Teapots Collective. It's an additional show a week with my voice on it, which can only be a good thing. And it's free. So no excuse not to hit subscribe on the Teapots Collective. This week on the Collective, we are bringing you, ladies and gents, a little bit of The Wicker Man. And then very late on the week, early into the following week, it's where to begin with Giallo. That's right. So lots coming up on the Teapots Collective. Visit our website, it's teapotscast.com. Buy merch to support the show from teapotscast.bigcartel.com. You can visit us on Facebook, facebook.com forward slash groups forward slash teapotscast or go to the Teapots Collective page, facebook.com forward slash teapotscast. You can interact with myself and the Baz on the twin prongs of social media sexness. Instagram and Twitter both can be followed at teapotscast. We're also available on Flick Chat. It's social media for podcasters and listeners to connect. You can listen to the shows directly through there and interact with us on message board posts. Flick Chat is free and available for Android and iOS users and our join code is teapotscast. The podcast under the stairs will return to you with a bonus movie review this coming Thursday. But until then, wherever you are, whatever the time zone is and whatever you're up to in this big bad world of ours, please take care of yourselves out there. This is Duncan McLeish broadcasting live from under the stairs and I am signing off. <laughs>